Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of Restorative Conversations, the new podcast series brought to you by the Community of Restorative Researchers. The purpose of the community is to contribute towards maximizing the benefits and minimizing the risks of the growing use of restorative justice and restorative practices. We do this by promoting an open and critical dialogue within the field and by enhancing communication and collaboration between researchers, practitioners, policymakers, and others involved in restorative practice in different contexts and capacities. My name is Ian Martyr, and I'm the founder of the community with a day job of teaching and researching in restorative justice at the University of Leeds. In these podcasts, I'll be speaking to prominent individuals from restorative academia, policy, practice, and civil society on recent developments and innovations in the field. Today, I'm in the Leuven Institute of Criminology at the Catholic University of Leuven in Belgium, where I have the privilege of welcoming to the program Professor Ivo Artsen. Among his many roles and responsibilities, he is head of the Leuven Institute of Criminology and the editor-in-chief of the new academic journal Restorative Justice. He was also the first chair of the European Forum for Restorative Justice. So thank you so much for joining us today, Ivo. Mm -hmm. Ivo, I'd like to start by inviting you to tell us a little bit about your background and your involvement in restorative justice research here at the Leuven Institute of Criminology. Mm -hmm. Okay, Ian. Um, Well, um, a few words about my personal background. Uh, My personal background uh, is not going back first to the Leuven Institute of Criminology, although this is... um, my uh, my uh, professional environment uh, since 1990, I must say, but uh, my original background is um, the prison system. So I started my work uh, in the prison system, in a, in a Belgian prison, a prison here in Leuven, in 78 uh, already, and I worked there for years in the prison as a psychologist. And then at a certain moment we... Um, started working with uh, community sanctions and measures outside the prison and with victim assistance programs and so on. I was involved uh, in these new developments in the field, so to say, uh, first at the local level here in Leuven, but later also at the, at the, at the Flemish and the national uh, level. And that is important, I think, for me to mention that, that my background is I'm coming from practice as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was only after 12 years experience as a field worker in the prison system, in victim assistance programs, that I uh, became interested in doing academic work, research, and that I was also invited uh, by, uh, at that moment, uh, Tony Peters, the late Tony Peters, uh, who was professor of criminology here in Leuven, and he asked me to be part of a research group on penology and victimology. So we started doing victimological research uh, uh, in the very beginning of the 90s. Mm. So, and it was, of course, because uh, we had been working with um, offenders and with victims in practice that we became interested in yeah, bridging between the two. And so there was restorative justice and mediation. And that was... Uh, discovered, so to say, uh, also by us here in, in Leuven. Okay. And can you just say a little bit about your experience of switching from being a practitioner to going into academia? Because I know there's a lot of people in restorative justice who move between the two or are both at the mm-hmm. same time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, <clears throat> well, I, I must say it was in, 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 in the prison and in victim assistance, but mainly in the prison when I was uh, active there, 
that I started understanding the relevance and the importance of scientific research. A little bit strange eh, because I was really a practitioner, very much involved in in, in working, counseling uh, for uh, prisoners uh, and um, also very much interested in their uh, position, their legal position uh, in the prison system and so on. Uh, so I was very much practice and policy as well, oriented, uh, but still uh, it is thanks to this policy and practice orientation that I started understanding why research is so important in this field in order to improve in a more fundamental way practices and policies. And I had the same experience, I must say, in, uh, in victim assistance uh, while I was uh, working there in some of the programs uh, here uh, in Leuven. Mm-hmm. So we as uh, social workers and psychologists were not able really to understand the processes, also the legal processes uh, uh, and behind uh, the, the whole criminal justice system. So we felt very much the need to do much more study work to understand really the um, fundamentals of this system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, since then you've been involved in numerous research projects in the field of restorative justice. I was wondering are there a few in particular you'd like to perhaps describe and talk about the findings of a little bit? <clears throat> well, let's say that maybe the first one that we set up uh, is, was still the most remarkable for me. Uh, and that was on mediation, mediation for redress. That was a project that we have done during three years, 93, 96. Um, and that was an action research, as we have done other types of action research as well in the years after. And that was uh, in order to, to explore through research, but also in practice, to explore the possibilities of doing mediation, applying mediation and restorative justice in general for more serious crimes. So at that moment, we knew from other countries, from colleagues and so on, that it is feasible and that it is realistic to do mediation for minor crimes, juvenile offenders, first offenders, and so on. So we were interested in the question, can we make a further step? And can we also uh, develop a model of mediation for more and even very serious crimes? So that was one of our objectives. The other objective at that moment was to investigate and to reflect uh, on the question um, what does that mean then uh, for the criminal justice process when you are able to apply a model of victim offender mediation or restorative justice mm-hmm. uh, for uh, very serious crimes uh, how does that relate then this kind of restorative justice process to the criminal justice process so we had also this kind of more theoretical uh, orientation mm-hmm. in the project mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay and what about more recently? I mean, for example, you've just completed the uh, alternative project. Would you like to talk about that a little bit? Well, of course, uh, we have gone uh, also through a whole evolution in our thinking about restorative justice. And for many years, also in very close cooperation with the European Forum, here in Leuven, we have done a series uh, of projects on, let's say, enlarging the field of application for restorative justice restorative justice in all kinds of, for all kinds of conflicts and crimes, uh, um, in, including sexual, cri- sexual offenses and, and so on. Mm? Uh, also in case of terrorism, these were all separate projects or whether you can apply and develop models of restorative justice in, this, uh, in these cases. So in order to broaden the scope for restorative justice, um, I think of 
a last step that we have made is to put restorative justice now much more in a broader societal uh, context. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe also as criminologists we were very much interested in the way how the criminal justice system is functioning and whether we are able to rethink uh, punishment and to rethink the criminal justice system functioning. Um, but we have also experienced that this is a very difficult exercise, that you need many, many years to really reorient such systems in societies. And we have also um, found many times that in many countries, in our international research, that many countries and many programs in restorative justice are over-dependent or very dependent uh, on the criminal justice system. So, for example, in order to get enough referrals, uh, they expect all the referrals, the cases coming from the public prosecutor, from the police, from the justice system uh, at large, so to say. But that this makes restorative justice programs very vulnerable, of course, and this, this, this over-reliance uh, on the criminal justice system in order to be able to work and to have cases to work on, that makes the whole field of restorative justice very weak. And that's certainly one of the important um, reasons why it is not mainstream or not yet mainstream in most of our uh, countries. So we have, we, we, we are, yeah, we have been thinking more and more um, that we should um, change our focus maybe a little bit and that we should try to work also with much more um, uh, developments in, in society, in, in a broader society, and that we should try to develop restorative justice practices also uh, not only very close to the criminal justice system, but also in a more societal, broader societal context, mm -hmm. let's say. Mm -hmm. mm, that's really interesting because I guess uh, Northern Ireland is an interesting example of a jurisdiction where at one point a lot of the, uh, the restorative justice deliverers were community-led and they were getting most of their referrals from the community directly, but then the state and justice agencies more recently have come in and sort of prevented that from happening. Mm -hmm. Well, that is a pity maybe. Eh, no? uh, uh, of course, the role of the state is important. Eh? And, and I think we should uh, try to build a balance eh, between uh, autonomy eh, and civil society orientation for SFGS programs on the one hand, and close cooperation with the criminal justice authorities, the system, on the other hand. So you should not exclude both sides, let's say, but the, uh, the big challenge is to, to be in between, I think, and to adopt in a restorative justice program an independent position, an autonomous position, where you're really free as well uh, um, to, to you have to take a position uh, mm -hmm. and not mm -hmm. just to take over or to duplicate or to replicate um, things that and uh, principles, working principles that are dominant in, 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 in the criminal justice system, but also not in, in the field of social work or probation or so, for example. Mm -hmm. yeah? Okay. And um, you mentioned, for example, the prosecutor. I was wondering if you could describe a little bit how restorative justice works in Belgium, because I think there are some aspects of it, such as the role of the prosecutor in uh, making referrals and also the role of the 
uh, professional mediation service that I think aren't mm. that well known, particularly in the English speaking world. Could you describe that a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the role of the uh, public prosecutors and judicial actors in general is to facilitate restorative justice. Uh, on the one hand, and on the other hand, to offer protection, legal protection, where that is needed. Legal protection for victims, offenders, other people involved in restorative justice processes. So this facilitatory role and this protective role are, I think, the two important functions for the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. So this should help to create a, a safe forum and a place uh, where restorative practices can, can happen. Uh, and so this is much more a position of delivering a service. So criminal justice authorities also seen as authorities, bodies that facilitate processes, not just that impose measures or deliver sanctions mm -hmm. or punishment, uh, but that facilitate much more um, communicative processes and peacemaking processes in our communities, in our societies. And it they can play an important role because public prosecutors, at least the European continent, uh, uh, have a uh, function of gatekeeper uh, uh, for many cases. Um, so all these crimes that are reported, at least, all the crimes that are reported to the police or the justice system are, um, are uh, dealt with by public prosecutor services, offices. Uh, or the majority of the cases at least. So they have uh, a central position. So they can refer cases to restorative justice programs, uh, whether these restorative justice programs have an uh, autonomous position or whether they are part of the justice system. But anyway, uh, public prosecutors, because of their central position, are well placed to, 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 to offer the service uh, of mediation mm -hmm. or restorative uh, justice and to make clear to victims, offenders, other people who have contact with the justice system that there is something as restorative justice and to inform victims, offenders and others in an appropriate way. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and when, when you say facilitate, you mean, I get, think, enable, um, rather because in the UK we say facilitate to mean the process of physically delivering, whereas that here would be called yeah, no. the mediator rather than the facilitator. But you mean like enabling the process to take enabling place. Enabling the process yeah. to refer the case. Right. That does not mean that the prosecutor is taking over the process right. of the facilitator right. okay. yeah. in, in, the, in, the, in the concrete restorative mm -hmm. process. That is not what I meant. Mm -hmm. uh, but a more at a societal level, a more facilitatory, facilitatory role. So, and I think that is, that is important. And, and, um, and that is also how um, restorative justice is defined uh, in the law of uh, June 2005, a federal law in Belgium, uh, where there's a definition of restorative justice, or at least mediation, where it is said in this definition, in the law, that uh, mediation is a service that is offered to people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who enter into contact with the criminal justice system. And that it is the role of the judges and the public prosecutors and other people working in the system to inform citizens about this offer, about this possibility. Mm -hmm. yeah? and That's this a totally different rationale right. than uh, considering restorative justice or mediation as a measure that you impose on people. Mm -hmm. I, I guess this is the way it's conceptualized by the European Victims Directive as well. Mm, not totally. It, the, the, victims, the European Victims Directive uh, of 2012 does not go so far. There is, of course, an, a, a, 
good and a very acceptable definition of restorative justice, I think, uh, in the European Union directive, uh, very much inspired on the definition from the Council of Europe of 99 on mediation penal matters. Uh, but then uh, there are only a number of safeguards that are listed in the directive, on the victims in the victims directive. So it does not really um, promote the use uh, of restorative justice so much, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, um, and certainly there is not also not uh, not a clear concept of restorative justice. There's a good definition, but that does not yet mean that there's a clear philosophy or or ideology or working principles uh, behind that uh, idea of restorative justice uh, that could be found back uh, eventually in the directive. That is much more the case, for example, in this recommendation of 99 of the Council of Europe. There you have the elaboration of a number of working principles for restorative justice, as we have also in the United Nations resolution from 2002. Mm -hmm. There you have a similar kind of principles, working principles, uh, that are prescribed uh, uh, in order to to make good practices in restorative justice uh, possible. So that is, of course, um, also maybe an invitation to think about whether we should, at the European level, at the European Union level, whether we should go for a directive on restorative justice or another legal instrument on restorative justice. Okay. Mm -hmm. One of the things I wanted to ask about, because what I find um, great about the research that comes out of Leuven is the fact that it tends to involve empirical data collection in a number of different countries, number of different jurisdictions across Europe. And I was wondering if in the time you spent coordinating and undertaking this comparative research, you, if you get a bit of a sense for some of the biggest challenges or risks involved in current or future implementation of restorative justice, and then perhaps if you have a view on how these might be overcome or mitigated. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that the victim orientation is still an important uh, uh, challenge or issue, I think. Uh, it, it is still true, I think, that for some programs in Europe, in European countries, uh, there's a stronger offender orientation than a victim orientation, I think. Not in all countries, not at all. Uh, you cannot generalize that mm -hmm. uh, yeah. over all these countries. So, uh, But still, it, it should remain an important point for attention, I think, mm -hmm. this victim uh, orientation. Another challenge or issue might be the what we could call the instrumentalization of restorative justice. So it means that you expect a certain clear outcomes of restorative justice, as if restorative justice is something that should have clear effects. Maybe you can defend the idea and the position that, for example, restorative practices or processes should result in um, in a clear. Uh, in a, in a clear reduction of reoffending rates, for example. Hmm? I am not so much convinced whether that is wise to do, to think in these terms about restorative justice. It might be worth, of course, doing research into the potential of restorative justice in order to reduce reoffending or to limit reoffending. I think that is good and you have to do that kind of research and you have to evaluate your own practices also in the light of a possible effect on reoffending. But we should not have too high expectations, I think, in that respect. Uh, there are not many interventions or types of interventions existing in the world uh, where uh, only during a couple of hours you can uh, provoke such a kind of effects. Whether people re-offend or not, 
depends on many variables and on many factors usually. And mediation or restorative justice, having participated in a conference or in a mediation process, might might um, support, I think, the process towards desistance eh? and no longer offending. Uh, but um, I think it would be naive to think that this just one type of intervention can really make the big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you've also written about the potential for restorative justice to be uh, co-opted by existing rationales when implemented in criminal justice processes. Mm-hmm. Could you describe a little bit what you mean by this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, <clears throat> what you sometimes see is that... Um, that uh, restorative justice programs take over some of the principles uh, uh, of the criminal justice process. Principles and characteristics and categories, also legal categories, but also approaches. For example, um, many restorative justice processes are very much individualizing the issue, the problem. We are very often reducing the problem, the issue, to an interpersonal conflict. One victim, one offender. And that is this individualizing approach is, I think, something that is taken over from the criminal justice process, from the criminal justice system, where you work with an offender who has to be has to be found guilty and a victim who can maybe be compensated financially for what happened and so on. Uh, so but in our criminal justice system does not offer a, a, a place to work with collectivities or with groups. Although crime uh, should be understood and should be dealt with in a societal context, uh, in the whole complexity of a societal or community context, I think. And I, I'm a little bit afraid that in some countries uh, which have very strong mediation service, uh, that you are taking over this, for example, this individualizing approach very much, and that it is very difficult for them to then broaden their functioning and broaden their scope to also work with uh, communities. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. And uh, moving on to uh, the European Forum for Restorative Justice. Mm-hmm. This is something I believe you were the first chair and mm-hmm. uh, played a significant role in setting it up, and it's something that still runs out of the University of Leuven now. Can you please tell us a little bit about this organization and its activities? Mm-hmm. Well, the organization has been set up at, in the late 90s um, with a group of people from eight European countries. And I think the, the first idea was to offer mutual support, so to say. These were all people who had a kind of yeah, pioneering function maybe in, in, eh, in, in mediation and other programs in the field of restorative justice. And these people were working in practice or in research. Mm-hmm. And uh, we felt that we were all in an isolated position, often in our own countries, but also at the international or the European level. And it was, for example, in meetings or in some conferences that we became aware of that, that we met each other when we met colleagues from another European country, uh, for example, in the expert committee of the Council of Europe, uh, when we were preparing this recommendation of 99. Uh, that was certainly uh, a very good preparation to start with the European Forum, because that is the place where some of these people learn to know each other during three years, meeting in Strasbourg. Yeah? And then some of them uh, um, 
uh, took the initiative, let's say, uh, to sit together to apply for a European project and to explore uh, what are the needs and the possibilities to start with a European organization. And that became then the European Forum for Restorative Justice. So uh, breaking through the isolation was, I think, an important first motivation or idea behind it. Uh, but then very quickly, of course, um, we also wanted to influence practices, to, um, to, to, to think about what are good practices, where should be the focus, the emphasis in restorative justice programs. Um, but we were also very much uh, interested always in influencing national and later also European policies in this field. Yeah. Um, certainly in the beginning of the 2000s, um, uh, restorative justice was not, just, not yet uh, supported by legislation in most European countries. No, 2015, uh, almost all European Union member states have legislation on restorative justice. So that was certainly not the case. Uh, and so. Um, yeah, looking for this policy policy support was a, was an important uh, focus in the first years, and I also remember that another important focus was uh, the uh, judicial authorities, because it became very much clear that um, that there is an underutilization of the restorative justice of restorative justice in a quantitative way, and that um, yeah. Rest, uh, criminal justice bodies or services authorities are often yeah a bottleneck let's say mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. um, and that as we mentioned already in this talk uh, that uh, many programs are over dependent uh, for their referrals from the criminal justice system um, and therefore informing public prosecutors and judges um, training offer training to them uh, was from the very beginning also very important in the European Forum. And that all, all corresponds with the fact that there are important target groups for the European Forum according to its constitution that was adopted in the year 2000. And these were practitioners, policymakers, researchers, uh, but uh, also judicial authorities, legal professionals, let's say in the broad mm -hmm, sense. Mm -hmm. So these were from the very beginning important target groups. If you really want to, to, to establish restorative justice, not just in a marginal way, but that it makes a difference in the way how we think and act uh, uh, after a crime happens, then we really must work with these target groups in a balanced way with all of these target groups because you all need them. And secondly, you must try to set up interaction and cooperation between these target groups. Researchers, practitioners, researchers, policymakers, uh, practitioners, judicial authorities. These were too much separated worlds, also in the field of restorative justice. So, uh, yeah, uh, offering services to these target groups was one thing, but also um, promoting interaction and cooperation between these target groups at a local, national, European level was an was another important uh, objective for the European Forum always. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, these ideas, I think, are reflected in the article you recently wrote with some colleagues. Uh, it takes two to tango, researchers mm -hmm. and practitioners yeah. on the floor of restorative justice. Mm -hmm. Can you describe this article a little bit? I guess it, it says a lot of the things you've just been talking about. Yeah, it is this kind of thinking that is uh, explained there in that uh, article. And, of course... 
in these kind of reflections, you always refer to your own experiences. Uh, and then I think we, 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 we are happy that we could set up this in, in Belgium, yeah, at mm -hmm. the national level, this kind of cooperation and interaction between these target groups. Mm -hmm. So, and I think it is also true that we were able to develop a kind of um, more permanent cooperation and relationship between, for example, researchers at the universities uh, on the one hand and practitioners, psychonome uh, mediators, uh, on the other hand. Uh, but there were always also policymakers and public prosecutors and other legal professionals involved in these local local uh, partnerships. Yeah? And so doing research for us has never been um, an one, event, one, one moment event or so, uh, a, a project of one or two years, and then you disappear as a researcher, you go back to your office at the university. That has never been the case in our view. Uh, so restorative justice uh, is something that has to be developed in an ongoing kind of relationship uh, between these different target groups. It does not mean that you do not keep your own tasks and autonomy, of course. Uh, um, but I think it is. it has been uh, fruitful, I think, at least for the Belgian situation, to have this permanent relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And of course, this article appeared in the uh, relatively nascent Restorative Justice and International Journal, which I believe is the first English-language specialist restorative justice journal, and which mm -hmm. you're editor-in-chief of. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the aims of the journal and the process of setting it up? Mm -hmm. Well, the aim of the journal is to, yeah, to, to, off, to make a good uh, scientifically-based journal on restorative justice. So it is a scientific journal, let's say, an academic, scientifically-oriented journal with articles that should uh, meet a high standard. Uh, and um, yeah, therefore we have double-blind double peer-review processes, of course, as many uh, research or academic journals uh, have. And so that is applied in very, uh, followed in a very strict way, I think, these, these peer review processes. Um, but what we also try to do is to come with topics in these research articles that are relevant for people, relevant and recognizable for people more work in the field of policy making or practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, therefore, we have started in the beginning of the project with a section in the journal which we call Notes from the Field. And this Notes from the Field is a separate section besides academic articles where uh, remarkable new developments are reported and are analyzed and are commented. Also commented because we have usually uh, an author who provides the Notes from the Field, uh, a certain development uh, in a certain country or in a certain region and then that is usually commented uh, to one or two other people by uh, uh, respondents so to say so what we try to do in the journal in that way is also to create participation and to have a forum there for for kind of interaction and dialogue in itself so and the notes from the field lend themselves very well I think to this kind of dialogue so, and then we hope, of course, people who read the notes from the field and who are reading the comments by the responders on that uh, will feel attracted to yeah, further think and write about that so that it really can, can, can help them and advance ideas on restorative justice.
Mm-hmm. And uh, that I believe that'll be in its fourth year of operation soon enough? Or no, in, from January on in the fourth year. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to, to finish, I mean, what do you see as the next steps for restorative justice in Europe? <clears throat> in Europe? Mm. Or in one or more jurisdictions of your choice that you'd like to comment about? Well, <clears throat> in most jurisdictions, restorative justice although relatively well applied in quite a number of countries, is not yet mainstream, as I mentioned. Northern Ireland might be an exception, uh, uh, but that's not the case in most European countries. Even when we have the country as Belgium, a small country with 11 million population, we have more than 13,000 cases a year in restorative justice. You could say that is nice. It's not too bad indeed, but that is not that much when you compare it with the caseload of the court system. Hmm? So it is not really mainstream, even not in Belgium. Belgium, where you have very good legislation for juveniles, for adults, uh, for all kinds of cases, all kinds of crimes in all the phases of the criminal justice process. So in theory, uh, the the scope and the applicability of restorative justice is fairly large. But as I said already, also in Belgium, it is underused, the potential. Hmm? And I think that is certainly also the through uh, even in countries as Germany and the Netherlands and even in Austria and the Czech Republic where they also have relatively well established restorative justice programs. Uh, um, so an interesting, maybe not an exception, but a positive example is Finland, I think, uh, where you have a relatively spoken uh, uh, a high number uh, of restorative justice cases every year. So making it mainstream is, I think, still a big uh, challenge. That is one. Secondly, European Union. Uh, I think we might expect from the European Union that they offer support. They should not prescribe too much in, an, in, in a narrow way what restorative justice should be. But they should, uh, at their level, facilitate and encourage and fund, of course, uh, uh, practices and research and policy development training of judicial authorities uh, and so on. And then a third challenge might be, okay, to to make the position of restorative justice in societal, in a societal context stronger. Again, that does not mean that we have to, that we should forget about our relation with the criminal justice system. Because I think it is about justice. uh, And for me, restorative justice uh, is important, not only the restorative element, but also the justice elements, element. And it is not because you do, you apply a very informal practice, such as mediation is, uh, or it is not because you are doing neighborhood mediation, or uh, peacemaking circles uh, in a school, uh, or in the neighborhood, or at the workplace, that there is not an element of justice in it. This is informal justice, but that is part of, of, of restorative practices as well. So. Restorative practices, restorative justice is a little bit an artificial separation or distinction uh, for me. Even in the most informal restorative practices, there's always an element of justice. So we should not forget uh, on how we can work with people in order to to better uh, to be able and to enable them uh, in the most informal way sometimes to work on that level of justice. Okay. And uh, I think that's all we have time for on this episode of Restorative mm-hmm. Conversations. If people want to find more about the European Forum for Restorative Justice, their website can be found at euforumrj.org. 
Likewise, the Leuven Institute of Criminology can be found at law.kuleuven.be slash linc slash English. And the journal Restorative Justice is hosted on the Taylor and Francis website. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, great. I'd like to thank my guest, Professor Ivo Artson, for his time and insight. Thank you very much, Ivo, for talking to us. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks to everyone for listening. You can join the community of restorative researchers by using those search terms on Facebook or LinkedIn, or email me to find out more at i.martyr, M-A-R-D-E-R, at leads.ac.uk. Please join us for the next episode of Restorative Conversations, but until then, goodbye. Thank you.